Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Stacey, I'm going to need a sign to tell me to turn on the microphone as well as when to turn it off. <laughs> turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to encourage you, if you're not on our one call list, to go ahead and get signed up for that. Be checking our uh, Facebook page also for updates because the next uh, few weeks, really the next couple of months, there's going to be a number of uh, different uh, events uh, going on uh, that are going to affect at least our Sunday night schedule. Uh, next week is uh, Labor Day weekend. We won't have an evening service. The following week is Unite on the Rock. And so we are encouraging all of you to be out there uh, at the Unite on the Rock event to take uh, an unsaved friend, loved one with you. Um, if you can't be there all three nights, be there on Sunday night uh, or one of the other nights. And uh, if you're able to be involved, uh, see Bev Green afterwards. We'd uh, love to get you plugged in if you're if you're willing to be plugged in. Want to serve in some capacity? We'll we'll find some way for you to serve. Then we have some other things coming up. Uh, the end of next month uh, will be our church picnic and uh, and a few things going on in October too. So just want to give you a heads up that the next few months, as even before we get into the holiday season, are going to be a little bit different. So just I don't want anybody showing up here. Uh, at uh, 6.15 and wondering where everybody is. So uh, if you could, just uh, make sure. The next few weeks will be a little strange. But tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's easy to stand when everyone around you is standing. It's easy to stand when there's no force being exerted on you to stay seated. It's easy to stand when there's no price to pay. But we as believers are called to stand regardless of what the world is doing. Regardless of what opposition or price there is to be paid. God wants his church to stand in the face of adversity. Now, you might not be able to stand up if your child is strong enough and they're trying to keep you seated. You might not be able to stand, but God has given you spiritually the strength to be strong in him, to stand no matter what. Physically, you might not always be able to stand, but spiritually, God has placed his spirit inside of us. And he has commanded us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might to stand in the day of adversity. We are repeatedly told in scripture to stand I want to, before we dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to read to you one verse. It's on the screen here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Because of the hope that we have in the resurrection, because of the hope that Jesus Christ has achieved for us, dying on the cross for our sins, rising again, offering us His grace to be received only by faith. We cannot receive it by works. 
We can only admit we're a sinner in need of a Savior and call upon the one Savior that God has provided, Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Tonight we're going to look at what it means to stand firm even in the face of adversity. You know, Proverbs 24.10 warns us that if we faint in the day of adversity, our, our strength is weak, our strength is feeble. It's easy to sing and to praise when there's no price to be paid, but am I strong enough to stand when there is opposition, when there is mockery, when there is the threat of violence? Am I strong enough to stand? I am equipped with that strength through the person of the Holy Spirit, but will I access the strength that God has given me? Now, as we Get ready to look here in chapter 3. Let me just very quickly remind you the theme of 1 Thessalonians is faithful service under fire. The theme verse is chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And Paul begins in this book by laying the foundation of the gospel. And he then in chapter 2, he begins to unpack the believer's work of faith and tonight we're going to see Paul move from the work of faith into the next section chapter 3 the believer's labor of love and that's where we pick it up tonight as we consider seven keys to standing strong in the Lord and seven keys to standing strong for the Lord now that's just seven keys that's not 14 we're going to cover tonight okay seven keys to standing strong in and for the Lord tonight. Let's pick it up here in chapter 3, verse 5, and we'll read on to uh, the end of the chapter, and then we'll uh, dissect it together. Paul says, for this cause, well, actually, let me back up to, to verse 3 so we get the context. Paul said that we, we didn't want any man to be moved by the afflictions that they were facing, for yourselves know that we are appointed unto adversity, unto affliction. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and as ye know. For this cause, because of the circumstances, the trials, the afflictions that we face and that we will face because we're appointed to them, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timothy has came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if, we, if ye stand fast in the Lord. Paul says, we live. This is the good life. This is the life I want to live, that you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. 
To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Seven keys to standing strong in and for the Lord. Number one, verse five, Paul says we need to be able to expose and avoid the enemy's temptations. To expose and avoid the enemy's temptations. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're not unaware of the devil's devices. We're not unaware of the traps that the devil sets for us. I wonder how many times we have considered that some of the adversity we are facing, some of the trials that we are facing are directly from the enemy and are traps set for us to lead us into various temptations. Temptations to get discouraged and quit. Temptations to live in fear and not in faith. Temptations to not speak out and stand up for Jesus Christ because of the price that we, even here in America, may soon have to pay for that. And, and some are already starting to pay, yes, even here uh, in the United States of America. Temptations to uh, lifestyle sins so that even if we want to serve God, we are sapped of our spiritual strength because we are giving our strength to an addictive lifestyle, whether that be a substance addiction or a behavioral addiction. The devil wants you to fail. And he, Peter tells us, is a ravenous roaring lion, and he is on the prowl, and he is looking for those who are in moments of isolation and weakness, because that's how a lion hunts. My son is once again on a Lion King kick. And it's Lion King, Lion King, Lion King. It's Lion King in the Bible, Lion King in the Bible, okay? Um, now, I know there's a lot worse things than the Lion King, especially pretty much anything Disney has put out in the last few years. Uh, other than, you know, the old stuff, uh, there's still some value in that. But I was, he was listening to something today, and I'm, I'm always trying to listen to make sure what he's listening to is something he can listen to, right? And so as I'm listening uh, to, to a, he was, he found a podcast that I used to listen to all the time, uh, and th this guy uh, talks about movies, and, and in this case, he was talking about The Lion King, and he said that a lion hunts and kills only one out of five times it hunts to kill. Only 20% of the time that a lion attempts to get the prey is it able to get the prey. A, a lion we sometimes think is so powerful and so, and so strong and so wonderful and so majestic in its hunting abilities, and yet even the lion struggles and even the lion only finds prey one out of every five times it attempts to. But that... That one out of five. Boy, does it do a number on that prey. Boy, does it devour that prey. I find it significant that the devil, Peter says, is the ravenous lion. He's on the prowl. He doesn't, he doesn't have to get you. You don't have to be one out of five. You don't have to be the one out of five he takes down. But because a, even a lion needs to be 
selective and careful how it hunts, lions do not tend to hunt other lions. Lions look for the weakest of the prey and the most isolated of the prey. They don't dive, generally speaking, right into the flock. They look for the one that's on the outskirt. They look for the one that maybe has moved away from the flock. And that's the one the lion goes after. And church, it's so easy for the devil to lead us to get isolated from our brothers and sisters in Christ, to get uh, uh, out of the uh, habit of gathering together, being connected with other believers, not just to, to, to sit in a pew. I'm not talking about that, although that's part of it but to be connected and to have accountability one with another, to get involved in serving one another, the devil's looking for those who are isolated to discourage, to distract, to deceive, to defeat through temptation. And so we have to expose that. Paul says, listen, I wanted to make sure that you were still strong in your faith, that the tempter had not gotten you away from your testimony had not caused you to stop meeting together because of the because of the cost remember how this church started paul ended up getting kicked out of the city because there was such an uproar because people were getting saved particularly out of the jewish community they were leaving the synagogue and and coming to the church and the jewish leaders were angry that they were losing their influence and so they concocted these uh, trumped up charges. That stuff's nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. And they made these false accusations. And so Paul actually had to leave the city. And Paul was concerned that because of the pressure and the opposition that this church would stop meeting, that these church, that these Christians in this church would, would become isolated and, and that all of the work that Paul had poured into establishing that church, all of the prayers that he had prayed, all of the danger that he had endured would have been for nothing. But Paul was encouraged because he found when Timothy came back with a report that the tempter had not, they were not one of the five. The lion had not gotten them yet. Now they had some issues. We'll get to that. They had some things that they, there were some areas of, of spiritual struggle that they were falling into. And we'll get it. We'll get to that Lord willing in the weeks and months ahead. But they were strong in their faith. And this brings us to the second thing that Paul says is a key to standing strong in the Lord. Not only do we need to look out for and be aware that the devil is trying to tempt us. You have an enemy, so you better resist him and you better be steadfast in the faith. But number two, Paul says, if I want to stand strong in the Lord, I have to invest in the faith of others and help other believers grow. We looked not too many weeks ago, just a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning at Hebrews Chapter 10, let me remind you that uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that because Jesus Christ is our high priest, that we need to draw near unto God with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, that we're to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Again, faith, faith, for he is faithful that promised. And if I am growing in my faith, he says, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together 
as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Paul was someone who was prioritizing the faith of others. Let me say a few things about this. We must prioritize faith over feelings. Faith over feelings. That doesn't mean that your feelings don't matter. That doesn't mean that people... Paul, Paul is pouring his heart out in these chapters. Paul is a man of great, of, of great feeling and great passion. But Paul was concerned more about the consistency of their faith than the temperature of their feelings. And we have to make sure that we are prioritizing faith over feelings. It begins at home. It begins with our kids. It begins with our grandkids. We need to be more concerned about them growing in faith than how they feel. It is frustrating to me as someone who was a youth pastor and as someone who is now a, a lead pastor, how many parents let their kids make the decision whether they're going to go to church or not? Can I tell you, I never had that decision to make. That was not a decision I had to make. Even when I was in my 20s, when I moved back home and I moved back home with my parents, I remember even when I was staying with them, when I, I because I was trying to, I, you know, share with you before, I, I got into a lot of credit card debt when I was in my 20s, made a lot of bad financial decisions, a lot of undiscipline and lack of maturity, and, and uh, I had to work hard to, to get free of that bondage, but I, I, one, of that, one of the processes or one of the steps in that process was when I was in my 30s, moving back in with mom and dad so I can pay off my debts because I wanted to get married. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to actually afford a ring, and I wanted to be able to actually get married. And so I was living with mom and dad. And when, even when I was in my 30s, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Can I just not stay home and watch the Super Bowl? Not when you live in my house. My house goes to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That will be number one. That will be Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you if, you if you miss a service for this or for that, okay? That, that, I'm not your judge. I, I'm not your conscience. That's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying on the authority of God's word is you need to prioritize faith over feelings. See, faith is the pulse of your Christian life. It's the pulse of your Christian life. We are saved by grace through faith. We, we need saving faith. If you don't have saving faith, you're not saved. But if you have saving faith, faith is the starting line, not the finish line, because saving faith immediately becomes transformed into serving faith. And God demands serving faith of his Christians. In fact, by the way, if you, if you don't have a Sunday morning Bible study, we encourage you uh, to get involved in one of our Sunday morning Bible studies. We have a, a woman's class, uh, a ladies class that Rhonda teaches. We have our pastor's class. Scott teaches the young marriage class. We have a number of other classes. Dave teaches the uh, new believers class, which is also our, our new members class. And we have I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but we have we have other classes that uh, that meet and uh, for our kids and whatnot. And for our class starting next week, we're going to be in the book of James. And one of the key emphasis in the book of James is if you have saving faith, then there needs to be a pulse. There's got to be some pulse on your serving faith because faith without works is not just insufficient. 
It's not just insufficient for salvation. Faith without works is no pulse, is dead faith. It's not real faith. So if, if I'm truly saved, I'm going to be serving. And I want to have a good, healthy pulse, right? Sometimes when I'm sick, my wife puts the thing on my finger to, te- to check my oxygen level, right? Check my pulse. How you doing? Somebody gets weak, somebody gets sick, that, that pulse begins to drop. The, air, the oxygen, they're not absorbing enough oxygen. And so doesn't mean they're, that they're not truly saved. It means that they're not truly strong in their faith. And so from evangelism to discipleship to worship, our church and us, we as individual believers, need to have the priority, the Great Commission priorities of people Number one, coming to saving faith, but then growing as disciples in their faith and growing in worship in their faith. Because Jesus said, you know, Thomas, you, uh, you've seen me, so you believe, but blessed are they, they who will believe me having not seen me. Well, we will see him someday, but we haven't seen him yet. But as Peter says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And there's a reward for that. So we need to be concerned about the faith of others. And as I mentioned when we read the verse this it look at verse 8 again for now we live if ye stand fast in the lord this was living the life for the apostle paul this is what got paul out of bed in, in the morning this is what motivated paul this was the good life for paul not a life of comfort not a life of finances and i can i can get what i want when i want it And I can have what I need when I need it. That wasn't the good life for Paul. Paul had that life as a Pharisee. Paul was was a a man of of influence and position. Paul was independently wealthy. How do we know that? Because, well, number one, he he had a a tent-making trade. And number two, we're told that Paul would actually, because he didn't want to be a burden on the church, he would actually financially provide for the missionaries that would go with him. Now, there were times in his life where Paul didn't have anything, where the money was all gone. And that's why Paul in Philippians says, hey, I've learned how to do it with money and I've learned how to do it without money. When I have it, praise God. When I don't have it, praise God. But there were times in Paul's life when he was very financially comfortable. And Paul said, that's not what gets me out of bed. That's not what moves me. That's not what motivates me. What is the good life for you? What is the good life for me? It's it's very convicting. But this should be the good life for me. It's not just my comfort and my family's comfort, but the growth, the spiritual growth of the men and women, the boys and girls who are part of our family of, of believers here at Memorial Heights Baptist Church. Not a life of comfort, not a life of fame, but a life of growing faith in the face. Yes, even in the face of persecution, because listen, the persecution is temporary. Paul's not being persecuted today. Paul's not worried about persecution today. Paul's not, Paul's not sitting up in heaven going, man, I wish I'd have built more tents and sold more tents. Wish, you know, I, I know this is, this is really nice up here, God, but you should have seen those tents I was making. No, of course not. That's, that's silly. That's, we laugh at that, but isn't that how we live? Oh, God, I know it's good up there, but... Don't you see these sandcastles I'm building out here? Aren't these pretty awesome sandcastles, God? 
till the, and God's like, yeah, but the water's coming. It's going to wash it all away. So you got to build your life on the rock. You got to hear what he says and put them into practice. Now, that's number two. Let's go to number three here. Number three, verses nine and ten, Paul says, for what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Number three says that we if we want to stand strong in and for the Lord and I say we because it's not just a bunch of lone rangers. It's us as a body of Christ. If we stand arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder for the Lord. We have to pray fervently and consistently for one another. And especially for those who are struggling. This church was struggling. And Paul, this is essentially a figure of speech when he says night and day, okay? Sometimes I think we, we read some of the figures of speech in the Bible and we think, you understand how many people in churches Paul was praying for? If, if, sometimes we have this idea in our head that Paul was spending five hours in the morning in prayer and five hours at night in prayer, and he didn't need to sleep because he was, he was so spiritual, right? And, and he was able still to study the Bible and to go all these places and travel, even when they didn't have cars and, and, and the vehicles that we have today. Uh, Paul was not saying that I only ever pray, but what he's using a figure of speech to say that when I think of you guys in the morning, I pray for you. When I think of you guys in the evening, I pray for you. Now, I'm not telling you don't pray long prayers. I'm not telling you that. But I'm saying don't think because you don't have an hour before work to sit down and pray tomorrow. You wake up late or whatever, you sleep through your alarm and you're like, well, I don't. Oh, man, I don't have time. You have time to pray. You have time to pray. A, you have time to pray some short prayers. You may not have an hour that you can get alone with God in your coffee and your Bible and your journal. But you have time to pray. Okay, night and day we can pray when there, there are times when I and especially with all that we've had to deal with the last few weeks. There's been times when I'm in bed and I think, OK, God, I, you, you have me awake for a reason. I need there's some prayers I need to pray. OK, and and there, I'm not as consistent with that as I should be, especially in the middle of the night when I wake up. But there are times when I think, OK, God, you're not letting me get back to sleep. I'm, there must be somebody that needs prayer or there must be some prayers that need to be prayed. But we have to pray fervently and consistently for one another. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, as Samuel's getting ready to, to step back, he says, you know, shame on me if I don't pray for you guys. Samuel says, look, I, I'm stepping back, but I'm still praying for you guys. I'm still invested in you. I still love you guys. I want God's best for you. We have to pray fervently and consistently for one another. I, I, I keep going back to the, uh, to the book of James where James tells us, you have not because you ask not. I think you guys, I've been here three and a half years now, I think you guys know me well enough to know that I am in no way into determinism. I do not believe that God's sovereignty means that God is deterministic. I reject that as Gnostic heresy. God is not deterministic. God is not scripted everything. God does, God's sovereignty is bigger than that. God's sovereignty is bigger. God doesn't need to script every single event and determine every single sin and author every single evil act to be sovereign. He's, his sovereignty is way bigger than that. God has created a world of time and chance, and he's so big and so great that even, he, even all of that, he works together for his good. He exists outside of time. 
he exists. I, I've been trying to explain to Elijah, and I've told him, listen, I'm just telling you right now, we can't really understand this. Okay? But God tells us, this is God speaking, I dwell in eternity. Heaven is just my throne. Earth is my footstool. I said, Elijah, heaven's not really God's home. God, God can't fit in heaven. What do you mean God can't fit in heaven? God's infinite. God's so big he can't even fit in heaven. God is ever God who dwells outside of God dwells outside of, of his creation in infinite eternity. God is infinite. And yet God is personal. And God says, God says, on the authority of God's word, God says, you have not because you ask not. God says, ask me. I, I, I want you to pray. I want to answer your prayers, but there's some things, God says, there's some things I'm not going to do if you don't pray. You're not going to get it if you don't pray for it. You say, well, how can God still be sovereign? Because he's bigger than our understanding of sovereignty. And I say all that just to emphasize the fact that your prayers matter. They matter. And Revelation says that they're collected. There's a, their prayers being collected. All those tears, not a single tear has God forgotten. Not a single tear has God ignored. Not a single prayer has God ignored. Now, he's not always going to answer them the way we want. In fact, most of the time he doesn't answer the prayers that I prayed in the way I want. But here's what I have found. I found that he's answered them better than I wanted. I found that, I've, you know, when, I, when God brought Gigi into my life, I was like, thank God, you know, that old song, we had, we had it sung at our wedding, God bless the broken road. Thank God for all the unanswered prayers, or the, the times God said no, so that he could bring us together. Not as early as I, as I would have liked, but I, I was so undisciplined and immature in my 20s, I, I would have screwed things up in my 20s, almost screwed things up with her when we, when we met. So... That's another story for another time. You don't want to hear about that. Even if you did, I'm not telling you. <laughs> Look at verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Here's the fourth thing you need to do. Yes, you need to avoid the traps and the temptation. You better watch your step. You better let God's word be the lamp unto your feet, light unto your path. You're going to need one another. You're going to have to invest in the faith of other people. You've got to be invested in others. You've got to be connected. You've got to be consistent in your prayer life if you want to stand strong in the Lord, praying for one another. I, I covet your prayers. Covet your prayers. I, I can tell you as, you know, people tell you, oh, I'm praying for you. And I, that always, that always blessed me. But when I became, a, you know, a vocational ministry pastor, Man, that, that took on a whole new meaning. I, I greatly covet your prayer. When, people, when somebody says, hey, I've been praying for you. Man, that, I, thank you. That, that's, that's one of the greatest things you can do for me, for my wife, for my kid, is pray for us. But listen, ultimately it comes back to trusting the Lord's leading. Ultimately, sometimes God, you're praying and sometimes God says no. You have to trust the Lord's leading in all circumstances. God himself, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way unto you. See, you have to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You have to lean not on your own understandings, and you have to acknowledge him in all your ways. 
And if you do that, he will make straight paths for your feet. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He'll make, straight th- he'll make the path straight for you from, from his point A to his point B. Right? I'm like, but God, point B's over there. And he's like, no, 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 my point B's over here. We're going this way. And so we have to be, Paul says, listen, I want to be with you guys. I want to be invested. I, I want to get back to Thessalonica so, so we can worship together and we can celebrate Christ together and we can grow in our faith together. But I've got to trust the Lord's leading and I've got to trust the Lord's timing. And God was doing some things in the life of Paul. Now, by the way, spoiler alert, Paul did get eventually get back to the church at Thessalonica and was able to see them administer there again. But ultimately, we have to trust the Lord's leading in all that we do. Look at verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one another, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. What is the Lord going to lead you to do? Well, he's going to lead you to use your faith to serve others. And so the fifth thing, ultimately, I I don't know where God's going to tell you to zig and where he's going to tell you to zag. But here's what I do know. God is going to lead you to places and lead you to people who need to be loved and who need to see God's love and who need to be served in love. So the fifth thing that we need to do if we want to stand strong in and for the Lord is use our faith in Christ to serve others in love. And here we begin that transition from uh, the emphasis on our work of faith to what that work is to produce a believer's labor of love that we are not just loving sentimentally we're not just loving oh you know that person I, I just love them they're just they make me they're so funny or, or they're so kind or they make me they they always say nice things to me they praise me not just the sentimental love but a sacrificial, a love of commitment, a love of sacrifice. I have people in my life that, that I, I care so deeply about because when I was unlovable, they still loved me. And when they were unlovable, I still loved them. And, and when you go through some things with some people like that, and you have, you have a true Christian brotherhood or a true brother-sister or, or sister-and-sister relationship, in Christ together. And so we have to use our faith. Now, I, I, I want to remind you, we, we studied, it's been a number of years ago now. Some of you weren't uh, part of our um, uh, church when we studied the book of Galatians together. But I, I want to take you back to the book of Galatians uh, for a moment tonight. Go with me. Keep a finger in First Thessalonians. Go back with me to Galatians chapter, starting in chapter 5. And I want to show you just a couple things that we studied three years ago together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. That, this was the big issue in the church. Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Do you have to become a Jew to be saved? There's people today still trying to bring us under the law of Moses. To be even Gentiles who've bought into this idea that Jesus Christ didn't really fulfill the law. Well, he fulfilled it in name only, but you still got to do all the things in the law. Even though you can't do most of the things in the law because there ain't no temple anymore. Okay? Even though you can't do most of the things in the law because the sacrificial system is broken. But you still got to observe the Sabbath and you still got to 
you know, on and on. The issue here was circumcision. Paul said it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. The only thing that matters is faith which worketh by love. That's it. You've got to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you can't really love other people if you're not loving them in faith. Faith in Jesus, right? But you have faith in Jesus, it needs to express itself through love. That's what matters, that, that we're loving one another. Now look over in chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived, verse 7. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So Paul says, look, God wants your faith to grow into love. That's what he told the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia. That's what he tells the church at Thessalonica. Same thing. God wants your faith. If you're truly growing in your faith in Christ, that's going to express itself in your love for one another. And your acts of love are like planting of seeds in people's lives. And you're going to get discouraged because you're not going to see the results right away. You're going to get discouraged because people are going to reject you. You're going to get discouraged. But if you will not give up, you will reap a harvest. If you will not quit and be discouraged and stop serving him and stop loving other people because of how many times you've been hurt or, or how many times you've failed, if you will keep it up, you will reap a harvest. Don't get weary in well-doing, church. You will reap a harvest as you plant into the lives of other people, as you serve, as you love, you will reap a harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In other words, church first, the world also. Church first, the world also. Your service should start with your family and your spiritual family. And then we get to those who are not in our family. That's the way God has intended it. It's, it's discouraging. It's sad. I've shared with you before people who are more invested outside the church than they are inside the church. And there's nothing wrong with being part of a, a hobby or a club or, or, or getting involved with, with some uh, outside uh, activity. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having um, outside interests or outside hobbies or outside connections. Isn't that how you're going to build relationships with people who aren't saved, right? But if we do those things to the detriment of being able to serve in the church, to be able to love in the church, to be able to help others in the church, or help them listen into the church, right? Through evangelism, through, through getting the gospel out, then we are messed up in our priorities. So we have to use our faith in Christ to serve others in love. Now, there's two more that I want to give you, but they're, all, they're both in the same verse. Back in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, they're both in verse 13. It's a, big, it's a little verse, but it's a big verse. Listen to what he says. To the end. What's the end of all this, Paul? Why Giving ourselves to serving others in love. What's the end? To the end. He, God, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now let's split that verse in half and very quickly make two more comments here. Verse 13, Paul says, if you want to stand strong in the Lord, you have to remember your standing before God the Father. You have to remember you're standing before the God the Father. Now, if you're saved, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verse 1. You have standing before God as a child of God. I've shared with you before, when my dad was pastoring up at Grace Bible Church, he had a sign on his door, he had a picture of Dirty Harry on his door, and he put it on there when he was doing his sermon prep. And it would basically say, no one allowed in this room. Yes, this means you. No, you are not the exception. If you still think you're the exception, you have to ask yourself, do I feel lucky? <laughs> well, do you, punk? But guess who got to ignore that sign? His son. His son. And his wife. And I guess maybe Marcy got to get in there, too, if she wanted to, but... Family, you have a standing before God. Chuck prayed it. I mean, we get to, we get to the, the undivided attention of the, of the creator of the universe. And God's saying, come on, talk to me. And we're so busy. We're so busy. God says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Find mercy, find grace in time of need. But because we have that standing before God, we should take holiness seriously. We should take how we live seriously. Now, when we fail, he's faithful and just. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He forgives us our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But we have to remember that we do stand before God, and there is a day coming when we will stand before God and give an account. And we need to be living in preparation for that day. So how do I stand today? I have to remind myself where I'm going to stand in judgment before the throne of King Jesus Christ and give an account of my service to him. And I have to remember that today I stand as a child of God so I can go boldly before the throne of grace whenever I need to, whenever I want. Paul told the, uh, the church at Colossae, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You died. Your life's hid with Christ above. Your life's hid with Christ on high. And when Christ, who's your life, appears, you will be with him in glory. But listen, you're a citizen of, of heaven. You are spiritually, legally in heaven right now. Legally, you are a citizen of heaven. So you need to live like that. And then chapter, in Colossians chapter 3, then he begins to say, so here's why your life needs to change. Here's why your behavior needs to change. Because you are a citizen of of heaven more than that you are in Christ Jesus so remember you're standing before the father and then in light of that that should not drive us by fear but it should drive us with hope because he then says that we should forever focus on that imminent return of the, our Lord Jesus Christ the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints with all his saints not for all his saints although some of his saints will be there but with all his saints, say, what do you mean? Well, we'll get to that in chapter 4. 
But the spoiler alert is, when the Lord descends from heaven, he's going to have all the spirits of all our loved ones with him. And he's going to resurrect them first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we all ever be together with the Lord. And we're to comfort one another with those words. But that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the presence of God for his church, the presence of God for his church. I don't believe this is talking about the second coming, but I believe it's talking about the, the rapture. We could discuss that at some other point. We'll get to that when we get to chapter four. But we should be living for that day. That's what helps us to remember this world is not our home. And I, yeah, is there a price to pay for standing? Yes, there is. There will be. But it's a price worth paying. Because the opposition is temporary. But the rewards are eternal. Let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer. Father, thank you, God, that you have not only given us the command to stand, but that you have given us the ability to stand through the person of your Holy Spirit. And Father, uh, you've given us instructions. You've given us encouragement. God, you've laid out a way for us to be able to put obedience into practice, to be able to have the faith we need, grow in faith, be motivated in serving others, but God, ultimately be motivated in glorifying you in taking the stand that we need to take in the world we live in. Father, where we fail, help us to remember your grace, to get back up by your strength, to get back on our feet. And God, help us to have the courage that we need and give us opportunities this week, God, to take a stand for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to have a time as Andy plays. Um, the altar is open. We're not going to sing, but if you have a need, the altar is open. I want to give you time right where you are to be able to do business with God right now. What is the Spirit saying to you in response to His Word? Is there a decision you need to make or a promise you need to claim? The altar is open. Father, I thank you for the times in my life when I was only able to stand because of the men and the women who you put into my life, my family, their love for me, the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, God, that helped me to, to get on my feet, to get back up, to stand, the times that I've had to lean on a, a brother, lean on a sister in Christ. Father, I thank you, God, for the church. I thank you for the family of faith that, God, you have blessed us with, that we can be a part of. I thank you for this family of faith, for our church. 
God, the encouragement that I've that I receive constantly from our uh, church and the prayers that I receive, the prayers that Gigi receives and, and Elijah. Father, I thank you for the testimonies that um, that are witnessed to even tonight in this room. Testimonies of faith, testimonies of love, lives that have been changed by you through others, God, through your church and through the hands and feet of Jesus. So, Father, help us to remember this week how we have been served, how we have been loved, how we have been grown, and, God, to be willing to share that growth, that love, that encouragement, those prayers with others. Father, I know there's needs that we have, even in this room tonight, people who need prayer. God, help us to remember when they, when you bring their face to mind, when you bring their name to mind, God, that they're there is a need behind that face that needs prayer. That And God, you answer your answer prayer according to your promise, according to your word. You answer those prayers, God. So God, help us to be faithful in those prayers, lifting those prayers, lifting one another up in prayer. And God, we thank you most of all for Jesus who has given us life eternal and hope eternal through his death and resurrection. And God is coming back for us. God, we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you on Wednesday night, 6.30. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.